0: Okay, so we're in, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 18. Well, today we're wrapping up this series called The Cross and the Empty Tomb. And you kind of know what the deal is by now, but for the last couple of months, we've been talking about all of these different things. You know, why we do the things we do, and ultimately it's because of the cross and the empty tomb, but there's more nuance to them. And that's what we've spent the last couple of months talking about. I appreciated Ed's uh, remarks through through communion because it's the, my goal is to try to help us have a little bit of de- deeper, fuller understanding, maybe even some different perspectives on things that help us to, to connect and know why it is we do the things we do without just going through the motions. Because going through the motions is, you know, it's fine, but... You don't really pay attention to what's going on, if you're like me. When I get stuck in that rut, I'm just kind of one foot in front of the other, not really thinking about what I'm doing. But when I take the time to really focus on, okay, why is this important? Why is it important that we gather together to worship? Why is it important that we give our money? Is it just to make sure we have a place to worship, or is there something deeper going on? You know, why is it important that we really understand what baptism is, that it's part of, uh, of bringing us into the community of God and, and, and helping us figure out what our true identity through Jesus is. You know, why do we commune together? Is it just something we do because that's what you do when you go to church, or is there something else going on? So that's what we've spent our time doing over the past couple of months, and today, today is one that is, it's a little bit weird. Because it's not so much something we do at church every Sunday, but there's lots of things that we could talk about. There's lots of other topics that we could talk about why we do what we do, but this one, why we forgive, I think is really, really important. Uh, you You know, I get asked to speak different places, different topics, and one of the ones one of the recurring themes that sort of comes up is you know can you talk about forgiveness and you know start thinking about well why is that why do we need to keep talking about forgiveness and here's the answer I've come up with You here you ready for it because we stink at it does that make sense we stink at forgiving okay I mean we really all like forgiveness right but we don't really like to give it out that much, it seems like. We're not doing a really good job with that. And so it comes up over and over and over again. Um, and, and really, I think it's because we all need forgiveness, right? We all are in need of forgiveness, but we do struggle to to give it out. you know and and you know, it just sounds so simple, and you'll you'll hear people say, well, you just you know, just got to forgive them. You know, And that's right. And that sounds really simple, but you and I know that when you start thinking about the complexity of a relationship and the different layers and the different things that go into situations that happen, you know that while it sounds simple, it is really a very difficult and a very complex thing to deal with. Am I right? Yeah? Yeah. It is not an easy subject to deal with. But that's what we're going to talk about today. I would say that most, if not all people, have someone in their life that they need to forgive. Probably all of us have someone on some level that we need to forgive. And so as I was putting this together, I started trying to think about who those people were, who all of these different individuals are that we need to think about forgiving. And so, for the next few minutes, that's who I want to think about. Who is it in your life that you need to forgive? Okay? And I'm asking myself these same questions. Who is it in my life that I need to forgive? Because guess what? I've got people too. Okay? I have people that I need to forgive. So, here's the first one. Let's think, you know, <clears throat> this is kind of, you know, sort of the first one we think about family. You know, and that one can break down into, into several areas. It seems like every family or almost every family has someone who is a member of that family who has hurt someone or, or several someones by their actions, by their, their choices, by their words, by their doing something, by their... Being somewhere or by their absence, you know, we all have somebody, probably like that, in our family somewhere down the line. But maybe it was a maybe it was a parent, you know, and you grew up, and your your parents, your mom or your dad, or maybe both parents were were very tough on you. Maybe they they ran you down. Maybe you were abused by a parent. Verbally, physically, sexually. Mentally, Maybe it was a stepparent that brought about some of these things. Maybe it was a parent that you needed and that parent wasn't there for you. And that's who you need to forgive. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's one of your children that didn't live up to your expectations. Or maybe they weren't able to achieve what their other siblings we're able to do, and so, you know, you need to forgive that child. Maybe it's your in-laws. Maybe your, your in-laws never accepted you for who you are. Maybe they couldn't get past the idea that you married their son or their daughter or maybe moved their son or daughter away, and they just could not accept you as, as part of their, their family. Maybe it's your spouse or, your, or, or maybe an ex for not keeping their end of the vows. Things were said or things were done, and so there's some feelings of deep hurt and deep frustration, and that's the person that you need to forgive. Maybe it's a bully. There are a lot of people that, that grow up into adults But when you start talking about bullies, they have memories, very vivid memories that come to mind as they think back to their childhood and the encounters that they may have had with them. And maybe that's you. Maybe you were victimized by one of these people in your your school. Maybe you were were picked on. Maybe when you hear about that person, you sort of relive everything that that was inflicted on you, and that's the person that, that you need to forgive. Maybe it's a friend, someone that you've spent a lot of time with, someone who knows the details of your life, and you've shared intimate, an intimate relationship and bond with this person. You've lived life together. You've shared struggles together. And for whatever reason, that person sort of ghosted out of your life or took things that you trusted them with and used it against you maybe stabbed you in the back with it, and you wonder why on earth they would do that to you. Someone that you were so close to, how could they they hurt you? Maybe that's who it is that you need to forgive. Maybe it's someone who's deceased. Like I said, we're not really good at forgiving, right? We tend to hold on to things. We tend to push things down and and not deal with them when we should and maybe we meant to maybe we had something with somebody with a with a parent or a grandparent or a friend or somebody and something happened and we meant to get around to talking about them to talking with them we meant to get around to forgiving but we just didn't and now that person has has gone on and you sort of feel like man what do I do what do I do now? Maybe it's somebody in a position of leadership. Maybe it's a former pastor, some other leader. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a a coach, a mentor, someone like that. And it was something they said or something they did or something they did not do. And that's who it is you need to forgive. Maybe it's me. Maybe I've said something. Maybe I've done something. And maybe it is that you need to to forgive me. The point is, we all have somebody that we need to forgive. And we struggle with this. You know, it is is such a challenge for us. But you know, (coughs) excuse me. Have you noticed that when you hold something, you hold on to something like that, somebody does something or says something or whatever, any of those things we just talked about, and we struggle to let it go, have you noticed we, come, we can kind of become protective of it? Like we hold on to it. We don't want to let it go. It becomes so intensely personal that it sort of eats us alive. Have you ever felt that before? There is a better way for us to live. Jesus knew this was going to be a struggle for us. And so Peter is going to come to Jesus in just a few minutes, and he's going to ask about forgiveness. And he's going to think he's got a really good plan for forgiveness, and then Jesus is going to say, yeah, not so much. There's a whole lot more required than this." And see, here's the other thing, too. You know as well as I do that just because you forgive somebody once does not always mean it's a one and done. Can I get an oh yeah, if you know what I'm talking about. It's rarely a one and done. It's more like, okay, for today I've been able to forgive you. Or for this hour. I've been able to forgive you. Because Satan works. He reminds us. I mean, he is the accuser. You know, that's, that's what Satan actually means. Okay, It's not like it's a proper name. It's a descriptor. He is the accuser. And he accuses us and he accuses others in our minds, reminding us of what people did. And so one day, and you know this, one day you might really forgive that person and you hope their life is good and you hope they go on and you hope they do better and then the next day you find yourself battling hatred over this person. Can I get an oh yeah? You know what I'm talking about? You feeling me? Because I have been there and I still, I wrestle with those things. Okay, there goes the chicken race. Anybody who listens to this back will have no idea what I'm talking about, but that'll just be our our secret, and hopefully they'll forgive us. (laughs) But it's rarely, rarely if ever, a one and done, because these things just keep coming back. But Jesus has something to say about forgiveness. And it's not easy what he says. In fact, it's it's really, really, really difficult. But forgiveness is really, really difficult, right? But he tells us how we can handle this. So let's start reading together in Matthew 18. We'll start in verse 21. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but seventy times seven. The Jewish rabbis taught that if someone offended you or did something wrong to you in whatever way, that you needed to forgive that person up to three times, okay? You need to forgive that person three times. That seemed like a reasonable amount, okay? Because, you know, you do it once and that's bad. You do it twice, it's like, okay, one more time, you know, strike three, you're out. They had kind of a three forgiveness rule. And so Peter, I imagine, wanting to have a pat on the back from Jesus, says, well, I'll just double that and then for good measure add another one. Lord, how many times should I forgive? I'm willing to forgive seven times. And Jesus says, no, 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 not seven, but 70 times seven. Now, then, this is classic overspeak from Jesus, but his point is there is no limit to forgiveness. Okay? It needs to just keep. Rolling. Now then, let's think about these numbers. Okay, some say 7 times 7 or, or up to 7 times, or some say 7 times 70. And whatever number you want to calculate, you know, if it's 490 or if it's 49 times, either one. I mean, let's just go with a conservative one. If you've got to forgive somebody 49 times, that's a lot, right? Jesus' point is we have to continually practice forgiveness. Because he knew this was not going to be, this was not going to be easy for us. He knew that one day we were going to do okay with it, and then another day, not so well. And so he then begins to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about forgiveness. And he says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle the accounts one who owed 10,000 talents, that's like equal to millions of dollars in our day, was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. He owes a debt that he cannot possibly pay back. And so what the king says is fine. You owe me more than you can pay back. I'm going to take everything you have, and not just your assets. I'm going to take your life. I'm going to take your wife's life. I'm going to take the life of your family as payment as well. And you're never going to get out. You realize it's it's impossible, because if you are locked up, how are you going to pay off a debt? There's no way out for this guy, okay? At this, the servant fell face down and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave the loan. He has compassion on the guy. Compassion, and sometimes Jesus, the scripture talks about Jesus being moved with compassion. Remember, that's where you feel it like down in your guts, okay? Jesus says that this, this king, this master, is moved with compassion for this guy who owes so much and cannot pay it back. But he says, if you'll just be patient with me, I'll pay it back. And notice, the king does not extend patience to this guy. He extends forgiveness. says that he forgave everything he forgave this debt that could not be paid. then the servant went on his way rejoicing wouldn't you I'm not gonna do a show of hands here but I can probably guess that it's a majority the majority of us probably have debt right and after all we live in America I mean, this is a different kind of debt that I think Jesus is trying to get at. But imagine if just that was forgiven. Wouldn't you rejoice? But Jesus is is digging at something more. That servant, verse 28, went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about a day's pay. He said, "All's forgiven, brother. Don't worry about it. You have no idea what's been done for me. We're cool. No. He saw his servant, his, his fellow servant, who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, he started choking him, and said, "Pay what you owe." So he's physically assaulting this guy, demanding repayment for one day's pay. At this, the fellow servant fell down and began begging him, what? Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. It's almost identically what this guy just said to the king. But then notice verse 30. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison. Until he could pay what was owed. Now doesn't that make you mad? Doesn't that irritate you just a little bit when you read this story? Because it does me. That's the the point that Jesus is is trying to, to, to get us to. Okay, Jesus has just told this outrageous story about a guy who owes far more than he can ever pay back and the king forgives it. And the guy who was forgiven stumbles across his buddy who owes him a little bit, and he refuses and wants to have the guy thrown in jail. Jesus wants us to see, he wants us to feel the injustice of what is going on right here. And the whole reason he wants us to feel this is because a lot of times this is the injustice we live in and inflict on others when we don't forgive How much have we been forgiven by God? Can anybody repay it? No. And how many times do we hold things over others and refuse forgiveness? I have heard people, I have heard Christian People, people who claim the name of Jesus say, I can forgive almost anything, but I will not forgive that. Usually it's in relation of something done to one of their children, you know, and the emotions are tied up in that. And I, and I get that. And I, you know, I, I can't imagine what kind of struggle that is. But the point that Jesus is trying to make is that we have been given so much, and yet so many times we withhold The forgiveness that others are needing. Verse 31 says When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. You see, this this servant, he cheapened the grace he received. He was forgiven but then when he goes out and he finds this other guy who owes him money he demonstrates that he's had no change of heart he's not experienced that kind of forgiveness he received forgiveness but he didn't experience forgiveness in his heart and because he didn't experience forgiveness in his heart he could not extend forgiveness to somebody else does that make sense We have to experience. We have to experience the forgiveness of Jesus. We openly welcome forgiveness, but man, we struggle to give it out. N.T. Wright says that that forgiveness is like the air we breathe. We draw a breath in. we, We inhale. but we cannot draw another breath until we exhale. Forgiveness is kind of reciprocal like that. That if we want to be forgiven, we have to give forgiveness. We breathe in the forgiveness of God, we breathe out the forgiveness of God to others. Does that make sense? It's reciprocal. It's what Jesus asks of us because of, of what has been what has been done for us. See, and here's the thing. When we harbor resentment or bitterness, we shut ourselves off from God's blessing and we open ourselves up to an attack from Satan. We can't have. Unless we forgive. Did you notice that verse, or that, that word in verse 34? Just look at that verse really quickly and see if there's a word in there that, that just sort of jumps out at you. And if you see it, or if you think you know what it is, just say what, say it. Say what it is. There's a really interesting word there. Torture. Anybody else see that word? What, uh, you're right. Anybody else got another word there that's kind of like that? Jailer. Anybody see that one? Tormentor. You see that one? That's what that word is. Okay? He was angry. He handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, until he could pay everything he owns. Okay, so here's the deal. Follow me on this. When it's talking about the jailers, that's Satan's demons working on us, influencing you, tormenting you. Unforgiveness keeps us shackled and tormented, does it not? It works on you. Unforgiveness is this huge burden that we constantly have to pick up and carry around from place to place to place. And we are shackled to it. And you know what I have found out most of the time is that when I've been hurt by somebody, even if the person who hurt me knows they hurt me and acknowledge it, they... Usually, don't feel as tormented by it as I do. Because I hold on to it. And I want to nurse it. And I want to let it grow. And I want to feel that this is mine. This is my right. I have a right to be offended. You know what I'm talking about? And you constantly think about it, don't you? It's always coming up. You know why? Because you are in jail to your unforgiveness, and it is going to torment you until you let it go. Jesus knew what he was talking about, didn't he? But that's how—that's exactly how unforgiveness works. As Jesus tells this parable, and he weaves in this this metaphor of being shackled. It makes so much, so much sense. And we will not have peace in our lives until we forgive those who have hurt us, done us wrong, or whatever it is. We won't know the true peace of God. So, we've got five questions that are going to help us evaluate whether or not we, we need to forgive. And if you want to write these down, that's fine. I'll, I'll make sure I try to post these in the Cornerstone page so that you don't have to scramble to write them down. I'll post those. I also, and I won't have this in my PowerPoint just because it was just too long, uh, but I also have eight steps to forgiveness that are going to be practical. And I'll post that as well so you don't have to feel like you've got to write those things down. So here's the questions right here because maybe you're sitting there and you're wondering, well, I think I've forgiven that person. Or maybe you thought, well, I, maybe I haven't really even thought about this. Well, these are five questions. They're really helpful to me. And as I was working through this again, it's like, ah, you know. Okay, I've got, still got some work I've got to do. But it helps me to evaluate, and I think they'll be helpful in helping you as well. Number one, when you think of the wrong, the person did you, or you remember an incident, does your stomach not up? You know that feeling? Number two. Do you think of the person as that man or that woman or something else? Not even wanting to speak their name. You have been there before? You ever called somebody that? Fill in the blank? It's easy to do, isn't it? So easy to do. Number three. When you hear of something bad or embarrassing happening to them, are you secretly or maybe even not so secretly happy about it? I've been there. Have you? Number four. Do you find yourself getting angry, even flying off the handle all over again when you think about what he or she did? And then finally, the fifth question. Are you conscious of a smoldering resentment against a person or event when you remember him, her, or it? Ready for the good news? If you've answered yes to even one of those questions, then there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. Just as I answer yes to some of these questions, I know there's somebody that I need to forgive. If you find yourself going, oh, yeah." yeah. Then you need to forgive you need to forgive that person those are tough aren't they but they help us sort of think through the way we deal with unforgiveness right about the, the emotions coming up the names that we might call somebody refusing to acknowledge their identity Rejoicing when something bad happens to them. You know, and that's where you start really going to a dark place. Right there. You know, and that's, you know, that, that, that can lead, It just leads further and further and further and further into darkness. Okay? And that's a true sign that you really are shackled up. You really do belong to the jailers. You know what I'm saying? Man, we got to get out of that. Okay, so very quickly, here's eight steps to forgiveness. And again, I'll, I'll post these, so I'm going to move quickly through these, so uh, don't try to keep up with me. First is to acknowledge the pain. You know, sometimes we don't do that. We just phew, we move right over it. But we have to acknowledge the pain. Sometimes it's hard to admit you've been hurt because doing so intensifies the feelings, but you won't be able to work through the pain until you admit you're hurting. Tears are a pretty good indicator that something's wrong. So are feelings of resentment. To think through your pain. Be honest about how you feel. That's, that's something that I really, over the last few years, I've had to really try to work on. To not just acknowledge it, but also think through, okay, what is it that's, that's causing this? And to go back and try to, to be able to pinpoint that has been really helpful in that way. Three, and here's the one you probably don't want to do, but I think it's helpful, Put yourself in the shoes of the offender. Think about a time when you've wronged another person. Maybe your parents, a sibling, a friend, and you needed their forgiveness. Did that person extend forgiveness to you or withhold it? How did it make you feel? When it comes to forgiving others, remember these words from Jesus. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, from Matthew 7. Number four, remember that God forgave you. And we know this. We know that God forgives us. Number five, remember God's commands for us to forgive. When Jesus taught about prayer, he stressed the importance of forgiving others in Luke chapter 11. He also says if you hold anything against anyone, forgive that one in Mark. Number six, let go of the pain. Once you've gone through the stages above, refuse to hold on to hurt. But this is, this is what we do. This is what I mean by being shackled and, and, and dealing with those tormentors. Don't replay the offense over and over. Allowing yourself to get sad or angry again and again will only cause you more pain. Determine that you're going to choose to forgive your offender. Your emotions might not agree with this decision, and this is where prayer comes in. Tell God you want to forgive and ask him to change your heart toward the person who wronged you. You may want to consider voicing forgiveness to your offender, either vocally or through a letter. But again, if this isn't possible, it doesn't mean you haven't expressed forgiveness. Number seven, continue to forgive. If the wound was deep, you'll probably have to forgive more than once. When memories of the wrong come to mind, you find yourself getting worked up over it, immediately go to God in prayer. Number eight, pray for the one who hurt you may be impossible to restore relationship with your offender. But we can continue to pray. We can ask God to reveal his love to your offender. Doing so will help us to release any remaining resentment. And then you can look up, there's all kinds of stuff on how to forgive. But I thought those were, were, were fairly practical. But it doesn't make it easy. Because as we've said, forgiveness is not easy. A friend of mine years ago was, uh, was counseling um, a young woman. And they'd worked through a lot of stuff. Turned out that the girl's father left early in her life. The mother had uh, many boyfriends. Um, and so as they were working through this, um, the girl said that she was able to forgive her parents. You know, she was able to forgive her mom for all those men. You know, just a constantly revolving door. She could forgive her mom for that. She could even forgive her dad for for walking out out of her life. But there was one boyfriend that she couldn't forgive because he sexually abused her. Because of that, she didn't trust men. She didn't really trust anybody. And so as my friend was, was working through her with some of these things, she said, you know, she said, I can, I can forgive my mom. I can forgive my dad, but I just, I just can't forgive him. And then you can certainly understand her struggle. And Richard said, you know, he said, you, you need to forgive her. Forgive him. And she said, why? He doesn't deserve it. He owed her a debt that he couldn't repay. And he said, you have to forgive. You have to forgive him not for his sake, but for yours. You'll never be free until you do. And it was when she realized that, it unlocked the chain that she was able to forgive this person. She was able to to move on with her life and had a completely different outlook about this person. You see, forgiving someone who wronged us is, is, is just as much about us as it is about them. As we said a minute ago, when we harbor anger, resentment, bitterness, <coughs> all of those things, we shut ourselves off to God's blessing. Satan uses his tormentors to attack us, to work us over, to keep us locked up, to drive us deeper into the darkness. And unless we forgive, we can't truly know Peace of God. We forgive because of the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus died for all of us to reconcile mankind back to the Father. So much has been done for us. We've all racked up a debt that we cannot pay off. Jesus settled all of that for us. What he asks in return from us is to forgive. It's not easy. I I don't know that it ever will be easy. But it's what he calls us to do. Let's pray together.